This is the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, where you'll get ideas about improving your bottom line in business and in life from experts around the world. Grumpy, cross, argumentative, belligerent. Those words and others like them seem to describe life in America today. So we asked Kenneth Cloak, director of the Center for Dispute Resolution, to be our guest on this CVBT audio interview podcast. Kenneth, you've been resolving disputes for years. Is it just my imagination, or are we getting grumpier in general? I think the answer is yes. Uh, And just to clarify, I am not only an arbitrator, I'm also a mediator, And the difference is that in arbitration, I decide. So if they're upset, it's not that big a deal. Uh, It often happens. But if I'm the mediator, then they decide. And that's where it becomes a little bit more difficult when people are having strong emotional reactions to uh, whatever it is that's happened to them. What on earth do you think accounts for the increase? Well, I would say that there are several elements in this. One is the the political environment as we head into an election year with significant political differences between people uh, that have just uh, become aggravated uh, to such an extent that it's very difficult for people to have a um, respectful conversation with each other about their differences. And yet that's what our democracy uh, relies on. Uh, And this isn't just in a political arena. It's also uh, rolls over into families and relationships where people have significant disagreements with each other. I think there's also a lot of uncertainty about the world these days. A lot of things are changing. And so uh, people are a little bit uh, more... Um, anxious and scared about what's going to happen in the world, particularly with the coronavirus right now and various other issues and changes that are taking place in the in, in the place that we live. And so, um, what happens then is there's a little place in the brain called the amygdala that gets triggered, and the amygdala is responsible for the fight or flight reflex. And the more things like that happen, the more sensitive and irritated the amygdala becomes and the readier it is to just fire off at any, uh, at any stimulus. Uh, and that's one of the difficulties. So we're just in a, a very uh, almost constant state of fight or flight. Well, you certainly can't be a brain surgeon to go in there with tweezers and tweak the amygdala. So how on earth do you uh, get people to agree uh, when they when they come at each other almost ready to strangle each other? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this takes place also in the workplace. Um, uh, what I do is I ask questions that invite people to go deeper into not just what they want or what they think, but why they want it and why they think that way. And then they become a little bit more real to the other person. To put it in a slightly different way, there are three categories of questions that we can ask of any group of people. Uh, question Category number one is, how old are you? How tall are you? Uh, how close to where we're speaking right now uh, are you living? Um, and the answers to those questions 
uh, uh, are uh, hierarchical and there's a single correct answer for everybody. So there's a single oldest person in the group. But if I ask how old are you, now there's a single correct answer for each individual person. But instead, category three, if I ask what issues are you facing at whatever age you are at right now, you're going to get a very different answer. And now there are multiple correct answers for each person. So we want to ask questions like, why is that so important to you? Um, what, do you what life experiences have you had that have led you to feel so deeply about this issue? Uh, what are you afraid will happen um, based on whatever the answer may be to the question? Uh, those kinds of questions are ones that help people really look inward into themselves and then they stop trying to come up with a single correct answer for everyone. In fact, there's a simple definition of conflict that we can offer, which is that it's any place where there are two or more truths. Is it uh, possible for managers to become more skilled in this area? I don't mean to take business away from uh, arbitrators and uh, etc., but uh, might it be better to stop it before it leaves the shop, so to speak? Absolutely. Yes, they absolutely can. I wrote a book uh, called Resolving Conflicts at Work, 10 Strategies for Everyone on the Job. And that it describes a number of different ways in which we can not just um, stop conflicts and, and de-escalate them, not just settle the issues, uh, not just resolve the underlying uh, issues that gave rise to them, but actually prevent conflicts. Because the main problem in most workplaces is not just the one-off, accidental, you know, one-of-a-kind conflicts, but the chronic repeating day in and day out conflicts. Those are the ones that really wear people down. And those there are definitely responses for. How on earth do you, as the person literally in the middle, manage to remain unbiased and above the fray, so to speak? Well, there's a, a secret to it. And the secret is that instead of trying to be unbiased, I try to be equally biased towards both people at the same time. Oh, that sounds absolutely impossible. <laughs> well, what it is, is once you see that the, uh, nobody has a monopoly on the truth, then what you have to realize is everybody's got some little piece of the truth. And what we want to do is find out what piece is yours. Uh, what do you have to contribute to this? And whatever piece you have is going to make a better solution possible. So, yeah. So, for example, in a family, um, it isn't just what dad wants or what mom wants or what the kids want. It's the combination. It's the bringing of those people together into a, a relationship in which each one listens to the other one. Each one gets to talk about what's important to them. And then there's a search for an, a, a solution that actually makes everybody uh, feel better about themselves. It doesn't mean that there's always uh, a win-win outcome because there isn't. Um, but it does mean that people feel better when they're listened to. They feel better when whatever objections they have to something are taken into consideration in planning for the future. 
So, for example, one of the things that we can do is we can ask questions not like what happened or whose fault is it, but what would you like to see happen in the future? How would you like this issue to be resolved the next time it comes up? Uh, what, are, what can we learn from about what didn't work um, for what you would like to work better next time? Or even a slightly different question, what kind of relationship would you like to have with each other? How, what kind of communications would you like to have? Give me some words that would describe the kind of communications you want to have with each other. And now, can we try to live up to those words? Um, and can we stop the conversation when we start to move away from those words? Probably everybody listening has used sandpaper at one time or another to smooth out a piece of wood. And you sand and sand, and the wood gets nice and smooth. But the sandpaper wears out. Yeah. How do you manage to continue this for all the years that you've done this? Well, I would say that there are a couple of uh, answers to that. One is that it, it's a very positive uh, a heartwarming feeling to see people who hate each other come together and actually for the first time really have a conversation that is real and is right for them and even reach forgiveness. Um, and I work with very difficult cases. I work in divorces and families as well as in corporations and workplaces. And I do international work as well uh, between really groups of people that hate each other. Uh, and so there's that piece of it. Uh, there's another part which is a little bit harder to describe, but when you're, um, it's sort of like a, a hurricane. When you're on the outside, you get whipped around at a tremendous speed and it's very stressful. But at the eye of the hurricane, there's no whipping around. It's very calm. And so what I do is I go for the center of the dispute. And that's a place where there's a lot less stress. Uh, and, of course, there are other things that I do as well to just try and recover. How, how did you get started? Well, I uh, started because I was a lawyer and I was really dissatisfied with the way that the law works. Uh, it's a really uh, unfair process in many ways. Uh, and trying to figure out why and what could be done differently, uh, that was something that uh, took me a while to try to figure out. Um, and what I discovered was that um, in the first place, the law is not very good at addressing human issues. Uh, it abstracts those issues and turns them into uh, square holes and then tries to fit round objects into the square hole. Um, it assumes that there's a single correct answer. Uh, and in most cases, we live with multiple correct answers all the time. You know, who are you? What's important to you? How do you feel? Um, what do you want in your life? Those kinds of things you can't litigate. Um, you have to have a different kind of process. And that's what mediation is. Arbitration is a little bit different. Um, it's a little bit more like a legal process, but then I'm the judge as the arbitrator. And I decide you know, what, uh, what the contract says, the collective bargaining agreement, whatever might happen to be. But in mediation, um, it's a very different type of process. And what we want to do really is to look not just for compromise, which is a relatively low level of connection, but a way of turning that compromise in a brand new direction. 
uh, my way of describing it is to say that um, there are two ways of combining things together. You can take hot water and cold water and mix them together and get lukewarm water, or you can take water and add flour and heat and make bread. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make bread. And that's something brand new that doesn't even occur to anybody. It doesn't occur to the flour or the water or the heat that they could be something like bread. It doesn't happen until they actually mix um, and come together and, and share their unique uh, elements w with each other. And that's what happens in mediation and in, in various conversations. Uh, you you must have to deal with people who uh, come into your office with gigantic egos and barely squeeze through the door. How oh, yeah. do you handle folks like that? Well, the uh, we uh, we do, of course. Um, and one of the things that happens in conflict is that people tend to re retreat into their ego. So one of the things that you can do is to ask them a question that doesn't require an ego. Um, but the other thing is to listen carefully to the answer. So here's an illustration. Uh, everybody in conflict tells a story about the kind of conflict that they have had. But there are really three elements in every story. The first is that every story that you tell about a conflict um, takes the form, generally, of an accusation against somebody else. But beneath every accusation is a confession, something that you're vulnerable to, something that you're afraid of, something that upset you, uh, something that you wish had been handled differently. And beneath every con uh, confession is a request. So if we just use as an example, uh, you are lazy. Uh, the confession is, you know, I wish I could take time off and I feel disrespected when you see me working and don't pitch in. The request is just, can you give me a hand? So you can say, you are lazy, or, you know, I wish I could take time off, or can you give me a hand? And you're going to get three different answers to each of those questions. But the trick of it really is to get to that question, can you, what request would you like to make of the other person? Uh, what, would, what would you have rather they had done? Can you ask them if they're willing to do that? And now let's have a conversation. Um, and it means digging in below the ego because the reality of the ego is it's a defense mechanism. Uh, it arises when we feel attacked. It's a way of protecting ourselves against that attack. But if instead we just have a non-adversarial conversation about what's troubling you, you don't need the ego. In fact, it gets in your way. I wonder if we could send you to Congress. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There might be 535 people there that you could work on. Yeah, well, I, I did write a book uh, last year, which is uh, called Politics, Dialogue, and the Evolution of Democracy. And it's about political conflicts. And what you can say about politics in general is that uh, if you just took a look at it and try to make it as simple as you can, you would say that politics is just a social problem-solving process. And once you say it's a social problem-solving process, then you can see the way that we're solving problems isn't working. Uh, it's getting in our way. So how do you solve social problems? 
well, it turns out we've got some answers to that. But w the way that we do it politically is um, that uh, in the first place, there are a whole range of different possible solutions, each one representing a different interest groups, you know, sort of what's in their self-interest. So now we have to have dialogue in order to be able to connect them so people can hear what each other's interests are and then search for that bread, uh, the way of creating it. How do we combine what you want with what I want in a way that we can both walk away? Because if you take any number of different issues, you can take gun control, for example, and the truth is that uh, people who are opposed to gun control are not in favor of murder. And people who are... Uh, in favor of gun control are not opposed to people having, you know, pursuing a sport and, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, 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 having the freedom to choose how they're going to live their lives. Um, you don't have to get to those extremes in order to be able to come up with solutions to those problems. What you do have to do is you have to talk about it with each other. And that's where it breaks down. And that's why we need people to, you know, come in and help create those conversations. You, you are also director of the Center for Dispute Resolution in Santa Monica. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Uh, well, it's actually mostly me now. It was a center once upon a time, but I ended up being more of an administrator than I wanted to be. And I really wanted to do the mediation work. Uh, so I have a group of people that I work with who I refer uh, cases to, um, and that allows me to pick and choose and really uh, uh, enjoy myself uh, doing this type of work. But it also lets uh, me send uh, cases to people who are really expert in particular areas. There are people who really, you know, for example, if you are... Um, in in the police or firefighting uh, 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 organization or whatever you might have, what work you might happen to be in, there's probably somebody who understands something about that uh, that would be helpful. Um, I recently, for example, did a mediation in a school district up in Northern California and present were uh, one person who was a co-mediator from the district and another person who was a co-mediator from the union. And we worked with district and union people in this school, the top leadership team in the school. And they had been fighting with each other and hating each other in the space of about six or seven hours. We straightened everything out and got people back in a cooperative relationship with each other. So it can happen. Oftentimes it takes a little longer than that. But it, it definitely can happen if we just sit down with the right uh, sort of intention. Uh, and I think most people really do have the right intention. They don't want to hurt the other person. They just don't want to be hurt themselves. And that's Kenneth, Kenneth, you've given us a, a mountain of material to, to think over. But what would you like to, to add that I haven't asked you? Well, I would say probably the most important thing is um, the realization that there really is no enemy, that the enemy is someone that we've manufactured out of our pain, out of our fear, out of our anger. Um, but uh, the one that we think of the, as the enemy is actually not a you. It's an it. 
And if we can switch the pronoun and realize that the us versus them types of fights or me against them, there is no them. And once we have that realization, then we begin to see that it is uh, just a, 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 that the conflict is temporary, that we can move out of it any time that we choose to do so. And where can our listeners get more information about you and your services? Uh, well, I have a website, uh, which is www.kencloak.com. That's C-L-O-K-E. Um, and I also have this book that I've uh, written that I think would be appropriate for your readers, the one on resolving conflicts at work, and several other books as well that are on Amazon. You've been listening to the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, one-on-one interviews with experts in business and personal growth. Keep up to date with all of our podcasts and news that impacts business by subscribing to our daily email newsletter. To sign up for a free introductory subscription, please send us your preferred email address. Our email is editor at biznews.com. That's spelled B-I-Z-G-N-U-S dot com. Thanks for listening.